you guys, sometimes you're presenting solutions like it's a one-year thing. Don't miss the opportunity to multiply that by three years, five years. I've seen guys do 10 years, right? Because uh, the larger the number, the harder it is to ignore. And if the C-suite isn't involved, you're just dealing with HR, well, you're in trouble. The industry is so great at creating the illusion, especially the insurance companies, they create the illusion that they're actually doing something. How long before the morale kicks into the point of no return? And will that be a reflection on you? Hey, it's Heads Up Advisor time again. It's Craig Lack here. Show sponsored by Virtual Alliance. It's kind of quiet right now, so if anybody has uh, questions they want to ask me, my theme for you is really simple. The answer is money. What's the question? So uh, ask me any questions you have in the comments. That'd be great. Uh, but today I thought we'd focus on claims. Claims how to control them, what they're like, what they're similar to, how to deal with them. My computer's telling me to reboot. No, thank you. So, diamonds. Claims are like diamonds. There's four C's to the diamonds. Anybody ever bought a diamond for their fiance, for their girlfriend, for their significant other? When you go to the store, it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if you've any of you have ever put on the eye loop, but you know you can't see what you can't see. You don't know what you don't know. But the four C's of diamonds are cut, clarity, uh, carrot. Let me cheat. Cut, color, clarity, and carrot. Yes, the color. And so they got these symbols, you know, VS ones, and they have these rankings. But the point is, you know, they're the four C's that uh, are known for diamonds. And so along that theme, I came up with the four C's for claims. So your ability to have a conversation with a prospect or a client centers around your ability to do something more than get a discount on a claim that's bigger than the other person's, hopefully. And so, you know, a lot of you are out there trying to talk about, you know, a really full menu of options. And I think you need to slow down, take a step back, figure out the persona of your buyer. I'll give you an example. Today I was talking to a, a, a logo. Everybody recognized their name. And I got the impression that the HR people, they wanted to find a reason why they didn't like our solution, but they couldn't. And so at one point I asked them, what's the purpose of medical insurance at your organization? long pause he goes oh oh that that wasn't that was a real question i'm like yeah that was a real question so you know what do they say they say what everybody says well we want our uh, team members to have access to quality care yada 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 i said okay so what would be the negative of offering them a hundred percent medical plan option you're at 80 percent actuarial value we're at a hundred percent how could that possibly be perceived negatively Hmm. Ah, ooh, yeah. So, you know, sometimes you have to be willing to, you know, push back on commentary from your prospect or your clients when they're not seeing things. You know, a lot of the things you're going to talk to them about, 
my goodness uh let's go rbp dpc direct contracting bundled surgical you know uh all what is there 25 point solutions now between you know sleep and cardio cardio cardiac care and uh diabetes and msk and on and on and on and on i mean you can one one disease thing this to death people so by the time you get through all of these different options and clinics and oh my it's endless right that can be just like trying to drink from a fire hose so you can make it simpler and so i like to look at claims kind of like this that's like well claims are going to be incurred claims are going to be paid how are you going to avoid them? How are you going to control them? And so those are, you know, ways to have a discussion about something that changes the context of it. Context is really important for a lot of people. They don't, if you say it one way, they don't understand it. But if you say it another, they do. And I've learned this from experience in trying to describe uh, our program, which is a 100% actuarial value flow program. And um, words that you choose are very important and everybody hears something different based on their ex, you know their experience their history their biases their belief system all of those things go into what they hear when you say something and whether what you say is triggering the whoa you know triggering the stress which manifests into no decision and so the whole idea of, you know, generating new business is your ability to be able to not trigger that stress and figure out, you know, when I say this, what do you hear? You know, when I ask somebody, what's the purpose of medical insurance? It's, it's, it's for a purpose. I, I want to understand where they're coming from because I'm going to use that in the future to explain my value proposition in terms that they use, right? My son, Mark, has a, had a great example. He told me years ago, he goes, Dad, I interview these people and I have an imaginary shotgun in front of me with empty shotgun shells and I ask them questions and I query them and when they give me answers, it's like ammunition filling the shotgun shell. And then later, I load the shotgun shell and I shoot them with it and of course, they can't argue because I'm using everything they said to you know against them to help close them and i just remember that story and so you might want to think of that figuratively in your own way and so it's really important to figure that out so claims are going to be incurred uh for 35 years i've been in healthcare. you know we've tried the holy grail of wellness programs to try and reduce the demand for care or to modify human behavior good luck doesn't work you're not going to change somebody who doesn't want to change. I remember, Jesus, 30 years ago, we would just keep it simple and go, look, take a picture of all the food you eat or put a scale in front of the fridge. And every time you want to get something out of the fridge, you got to step on the scale. There's simple ways to do things, guys. But you know what? We want to obfuscate reality and we want to think that we can modify human behavior and change people's behaviors that don't want to change. And it doesn't work. It's not true. You're not capable. Everybody has a story. Yes, we did the non-fasting biometric pinprick and found that the triglycerides were 900. And oh, my God, we rushed him to the emergency room and saved him. Yes, but there was a thousand to one of those where it did nothing, right? 
because they gave it to you, that pinprick, that non-fasting pinprick for free, and it was worth exactly that, nothing. So, but I digress. So, you know, how are we going to influence claims being incurred? How are we going to influence how the claims are going to be paid? Who's going to pay them? Who's going to audit them? Who's going to check them? Are we just going to do the, you know, Buka ASO and have it 90% rubber stamped and no audit? And then to add insult to injury, how many of you have never read the contract? Well, 100% of your clients have never read the ASO contract, but you then pay them a commission of what, 28 to 33% I've seen when they find their own errors for those out-of-network claims, which, oh, by the way, that's another point solution, out-of-network audits, out-of-network RBP, and on and on and on. There goes the shiny objects. But you can keep it simple and related to here's how we're going to influence what I've been saying for 30 years, the number, size, and frequency of claims. How are we going to avoid the claims? Well, there's a whole variety of ways to avoid the claim. But I will tell you that being able to think you can change human behavior or reduce the demand for care is a very long process. I love the people who go, oh, you know, we just installed, I had a very, very large employer last year. I mean, really large. And uh, HR was retiring. So the new person was coming in and they were training him. And they did the handoff, attempted to do the handoff for our value proposition. And they didn't, they didn't decide to do our, they decided to do what, you know, the echo chamber says everybody's doing. And that was um, tuition reimbursement. I said to the broker, I said, well, excuse me for pointing out the obvious, which apparently nobody does because nobody wants to question because they're all afraid of their client or prospect. You have a 30% turnover rate. No one's ever going to collect on that tuition reimbursement program. It's just, it's just the industry is so great at creating the illusion, especially the insurance companies. They create the illusion that they're actually doing something when, in fact, they're not doing anything. And so that transitions to a lot of brokers. A lot of your competitors love to create the illusion that they're doing something, but they're not really doing anything because they don't know how to control the number, the size, the frequency of claims. So your ability to frame that to your client or your prospect, I think will more easily allow them to understand why they should do something, the consequence, the outcome, the significance for them. Don't forget, you you know, these people have careers. There's a lot of reason why uh, HR people are hysterically known, historically known as the, uh, you know, the place where good good ideas go to die, the vice presidents of no. I could go on and on, right? Well, you got to remember, they have a ton of competing demands. They got, you know, the problem is most of them are the jack of all trades, the master of none. And so the consequence is, you know, I, I need a really good reason if I'm going to change something because the status quo, I, I know exactly what I get. I know what the consequences are. There's no surprises. And so you have to overcome that. And you have to be able to future pace the conversation to say, if we do this, then that will happen. And when that happens and the claims go down, the renewals stabilize, we get better renewals for the whole company. The company preserves its cash flow because it's paying less claims. You have less of a cost shift to the employees, maybe no cost shift. So when you give them only a 3% rate increase, pay increase, they actually get to keep it. You don't have to do what every other employer does and go, oh, well, we have no idea how to control our claims. So, you know. Our rates are going up. Your premium contribution is going up. And, well, your pay is going up. But you know what? 
I'm going to give you a pay increase and take it away because the premium contributions exceed the pay increase. These are sad stories. They go on everywhere. You should have that conversation with your client or prospect to go, I mean, wouldn't it be a really huge deal if we could allow your employees to keep their pay increases every year? Maybe they wouldn't look around. Maybe they wouldn't try to see if the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe you could reduce turnover, increase retention. Maybe you could have a competitive advantage when you recruit people so you don't just have to throw money at them. We deal with a lot of hospitals and they, labor costs went up 500% as a result of COVID because they didn't, nurses got smart. They were like, we don't want to be an employee. We want to be a contract traveling nurse because they get, well, they invoice 5X the average salary. And so the nurses could make more money. And so, you know, these are, these are things that are going on everywhere that you can take advantage of. And, you know, you kind of, you paint the whole picture. It's not just about, well, I can get you, you know, this, you, you go to Cigna, to Aetna, to United, to Buka, you know, Anthem, and you'll get, you know, they're at 60% and they're at 52. And so you'll save money. There has to be more to it. There has to be more to than, you know, the DPC, you know, the primary care in the long run, will be better and here's the reasons why and you know you'll have more frequent smaller claims but the odds are if we go back in time primary care used to run everything um, it wasn't a bad deal but again what's your turnover rate how long is it going to take but when it happens what's the consequence going to be right if you don't do it how long can you keep dealing with the reaction of your boss your boss's boss, and the employees, right? How long before the morale kicks in to the point of no return? And will that be a reflection on you and the success or failure of the programs that you've recommended and implemented? And so what if we could just take a small bite of the apple? We don't have to eat, you know, you can paint the picture of the whole apple, but I've talked to so many brokers who get fired from accounts because they put too much stuff in all at one time. It's too much, too fast, too soon. And they don't match up the appetite and the willingness, this is probably number one, the willingness to put up with a little bit of noise. I, I deal with some unrealistic buyers who, whose definition of a failed plan is any noise. Well, that's just nonsense, right? Every group out there has two or 3% crazies. They complain about everything and anything, no matter what you do. I say that to HR, they always laugh. They go, well, you don't know our company. It's probably 10, right? So you know, there's always noise, but you have to contextualize it for them. Paint the future picture. Show them the consequences. Is that acceptable, not acceptable? How long can you live with it, right? If there's a dollar amount assigned to it, great, right? Um, we had a conversation today with an employer, HR people, and I said, who are your direct reports? Are they financed? I said, because I normally talk to CFOs because we make this a strategic policy, not a not a tactical, uh, you know, implementation as the emphasis of why we want to do it. And so, you know, when I relayed different language to them, they had no idea on how to talk to the CFO. And so I told the broker, I said, look, you know, this is your opportunity to say, let me present it to the CFO for you, right? I'm your subject matter expert. Let me do it. And if they won't let him, then let me. And so, you know, you never know where this stuff's going to go with people. And you have to be able to, to move on the fly, right? So the other issue on claims, how do you contain them? 
Well, I mean, the whole industry is full of mitigation, right? There's only four things you can do. Avoid risk, reduce it, retain it, or transfer it. Now, I, I, I live in the transfer portal, and uh, you do that's all we do. We do one thing, and um, we're kind of niched in the, in the large group market. But for the rest of you guys and gals, um, containing the costs, again, is part of the conversation. It's, it's that sea of claims management. What exactly are we going to do, and how is it going to impact the number of our claims? Well, it's going to increase the little ones with the intent on reducing the medium and the low and the, and the large ones. And here's how it works, right? Or it's, uh, we're going to be able to pay less for all of the medium and large claims because we're going to steer them through our, you know, guided concierge service into the contracted facilities, the, you know, places where we have a deeper discount, the high performance network, the RVP network, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to install. Just be super careful with RVP because it depends on the region you're in and the ability of the buyer to sustain some noise because, you know, whatever they're advertising these days, two to 5% of claims might have a, might have a gotcha, you know, on the back end. Uh, the buyer needs to know that ahead of time. So you can remind them, right, that we covered all of this stuff before you, you said yes. No matter who is impacted by it, that shouldn't matter. It's, it's what's good for the entire group. Uh, the other thing that's often missed is the fact that um, you guys, sometimes you're presenting solutions like it's a one-year thing. Don't miss the opportunity to multiply that by three years, five years. I've seen guys do 10 years, right? Because uh, the larger the number, the harder it is to ignore. So keep that in mind. If you present in 12-month tranches, you're conditioning your buyer to think in terms of every 12 months. Don't condition them that way. It should be, you should be at least three to five years because it's a very presumptive discussion, right? In three years, they're not, they're seeing you there, not somebody else there. So in between now and the next three years, you know, they're probably going to be called on 57 times. And if the timing's right on any one of those, you have a competitor. And so you want to, uh, give them the confidence and certainty so that they know that they can say no to all of those random outreaches from your competition because they know they have a game plan, they have a strategy, they have a, a program, they have proven solutions and, and they have a game plan of we're going to do this this year and maybe that and that next year. Whatever that picture is, you need to paint it. But my gosh, don't put, please don't put six things in in one year. <laughs> it's really hard. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think John's, John's, uh, looking at properties down there in Florida right now, but, uh, this program's virtued by sponsored by virtual Alliance. For those of you who don't know, when you have a fully insured group and you want to convert it into self-funding virtual Alliance and John and his team, Crystal, uh, Dan and the team, they're the guys to call. John has a program that has a blended renewal that is unlike most of the programs out there where it forces the employers to stand alone based on their little bitty 50 employee, 75, 125 employee count claims experience. And it's, uh, it's safer, much safer and much more consistent and much more sustainable typically to be in John's coalition than to be out of it and to be alone. Okay. 
It's a lonely place to be when you're self-insured with the standard stop-loss reinsurance. The answer is money. What's the question? I have a slide that I've used, and you can do an entire presentation off of one slide. Talk about the context of the claims. How can we influence the amount of claims that are incurred? How can we influence who pays them, how they pay them, how much they pay? Is it possible for us to design eligibility in such a way that we can transfer risk, that we can avoid claims? Because guess what? Guess what's better than getting a discount on a claim, everybody? Not paying the claim. Yeah. <laughs> Big difference. So the other option is how do we control the claims or contain them? Well, that's more like a how do we mitigate the risk? And so you, you have a, a you know, you guys have 50 shiny objects for that. And again, that is another, these point solutions that are out there. I mean, oftentimes they're so de minimis uh, on the number of people that it'll impact. Now, we could argue that, hey, a top 10 claim is MSK. So if you put in MSK, anyone you get is going to probably be meaningful. Okay. But, you know, when you start getting into some of these more esoteric programs, you know, they all have a cost associated to them. Usually there's a PEPM with most of them. And so you, you need to be able to cost justify. Is, is it worth it? All right. I mean, historically, wellness programs were full of healthy people, you know, which is why they could never produce a measurable ROI. Thank you, Al Lewis, for pointing that out. Anybody who has, doesn't have Al Lewis's books needs to go buy some and read them. Just even if you love wellness and you're a believer, right? You get that you get that hit every time you talk about it. Well, you know what? You've got to expand your perspective, read input on other opinions, and it might influence you because, um, gosh, I can't remember the fellow. He had the most famous wellness book back from the early 90s. I'll try to remember on the next show. Um, I have his book. And by the time 30 years, you know, 25 years went by, he'd almost completely changed all of his theories about wellness. Because it's the difference between the theoretical and the actual. There's a lot of theoretical ideas about how this is going to work. And I will tell you that oftentimes you can debunk them by just going, wait, what's the turnover rate? You put in a smoker surcharge? What for? The claims don't manifest for decades. You know, there's, yes, there's the three standard deviation from the norm that pops up. But in general, that is a very, very long term claim cycle. And your turnover is such that the odds are these people are never going to be on your plan. So what's the point? Oh, but it, it looks like you're doing something. I mean, who's who's not against smoking? Well, what are they saying now? Sitting is the new smoking. What are you going to do? Ban sitting? You're going to do a surcharge for people who sit at their desk instead of stand? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there might be some fallout from that. I personally stand. I have a standing desk. I stand for hours. I don't even notice anymore. It's just what I do. So, you know, we can adapt, we can change. There's lots of opportunity to improve. John and I try to provide you guys insights from real life experience. We have real life conversations. This isn't somebody parroting what somebody else does. We actually talk to buyers. We talk to brokers. 
we have the experience to know what works, what doesn't work, what they like, what they don't like, why brokers get fired, why they get hired. And that provides a deep well of experience. And so we like to think that, you know, having us as your bench gives you a very deep bench because we're long on experience. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. Uh, you know, I've been in this industry a long time. PCS was the first pharmacy card. I was there when it started. PPOs were new. In order to sell a PPO, they all offered 100% coverage. Most of the people in the business have, have no idea that's how it works. And then the HMOs came, and boy, they came. And they, they, they even got the government to mandate that if you had sunset provision, I think they call it, 25 employees or more, you could mandate that an HMO was offered. And so that's how they got installed in corporate America. They, got, they apply the mandate. And Kaiser did that really well with unions and got you know, basically written into their contract, the CBA, you must have Kaiser. And then VSP did it too with them. So uh, Delta Dental too. So there's no reason why when you, if you run into unions, you'll find Delta Dental, VSP and Kaiser in California. So, uh, hey, it's like we're coming back full circle now because we've done it the POS and the consumer directed health plans and then the high deductible health plans and HSAs. Whoo. Now we got ICRAs and, uh, you know, direct primary care like HMOs, but you know, but not right. Maybe no capitation and no gatekeeper, you know, so it's kind of a hybrid or it's almost like a hybrid HMO that they're kind of coming back to, or it's the no network option. So, which is the way it used to be. So, you know, there's a lot of different flavors. It really depends on what region of the country you're in, who's your network, who's your providers, what your hospitals will put up with, which ones are militant, which ones are, are reasonable and will negotiate and have a, you know, have a reasonable conversation based on the facts. Some will, some won't. So, you know, keep that in mind. If your group is in such an area, whew, here's somebody saying uh, HMO light. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Which, you know, hey, it, it, it could work. It, if they have, if they truly have, you know, the high performance docs, you know, that small percentage that don't abuse, that don't upcharge, that don't overorder tests, et cetera, et cetera, that get better outcomes, that have less, you know, complication rate, less recidivism rate, less everything, you know. Those are the people that you want to go see, but then you have to be able to steer your people to it. Remember, so many of the things now require steerage, either through plan design, ethical bribes. We'll give you money back. We'll give you a percentage of the. Okay, that part of the market will be a, appeal to that, and part won't. Or you know, at point of service, hey, somebody ordered a, uh, you know, an MRI. You know, concierge calls them up. Hey. What's going on with your back? What's going on with your knee? Have you done PT? You, you know, all those kinds of things. The quantums, the accolades in, in those organizations. Uh, Deb Alt, you know, her team. Those guys, you know, th their, their intent is to interact as soon as possible, right? I think Deb likes to say, you know, uh, you know, the right option at the right time for the right price with the right provider, you know, that, that kind of theme. And, and that's all great. But understand that compared to where they're coming from, that might be a massive culture shock that HR is not prepared to deal with. And if the C-suite isn't involved, you're just dealing with HR, 
well, you're in trouble. You better get the blessings of, the interest of, and the involvement and commitment from the C-suite. Because then you're safe. Because then when the VP of sales, the super stud salesperson, when their spouse has a problem and they're getting threatening letters from the hospital because of the balance bill, okay, that's when you need the C-suite or the CFO or the CEO or the CEO, you know, you better have the C-suite involved. So if you only sold that to HR, cross your fingers. So these are just all things to keep in mind when you're doing things. You don't have to do it, but if you do it, it'll be it'll be safer. You'll be happier. You'll make more money, and you'll have clients longer, right? When I did retail, uh, I, my gosh, we had clients for 20, 25, 30 years. You know, it just, it, it was, uh, that was the way it was. The business isn't that easy anymore, right? If you really want to do people a solid, you got to get them out of the fully insured because maybe you downloaded recently. If you haven't, you should go look for it on Heads Up Advisor. The 28 reasons why self-funded is more conservative, less risky than fully insured. Okay. Most people can't have a conversation like that. We give you step-by-step. Here's 28 bullet points on why self-funding is less risky than fully insured. Guess what 100% of your prospects will tell you? Fully insured is safer than self-funding because they're completely ignorant about how it works, as are probably 90% of your competitors. So take advantage of that. There it is on the screen. If you guys are walking your dog right now listening to this, look at the screen, download the 28 reasons because you may not use all 28, but if you use eight or 18, let me tell you, you're going to have more credibility. And if you don't know what it is, you know, give me a call and I'll explain it to you. But the idea is, you know, your credibility, your positioning, your position of authority in the eyes of the prospect or client is what you can control. When you have a message that's different than everything they've ever heard of, well, there's going to be a bit of skepticism. So you have to be prepared for that. Now, if you have enough authority in your positioning they believe you and they go wow i you know this is really new we, nobody's really framed it like that i never heard about it i never had anybody explain it to me like that and that's the kind of stuff you'll hear i know because we did it so uh that should be a good download we think that's been a really good piece for us i think that's about it margo we're at the half hour point Thanks for commentary, Spencer. Remember, you want to convert from fully insured to self-insured. Consider your resources. Consider Virtual Alliance because there's a depth of experience there that you're not going to necessarily find with a carrier rep or some other rep who just, you know, he knows how or she knows how to push the features and benefits of their whatever it is, right? Their their product, their level funded, their consortium, their captive, you know, whatever that is. Uh, if you stood them up outside of, you know, the 12 points they know how to make, they'd probably be found wanting in trying to explain the advantages. So I guess that's it. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. I think uh, we might have a guest. 
Not sure who yet. That'll be your big surprise. In the meantime, uh, every week, Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. See you next week. <laughs>